Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah, Ve'harevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael, Ve'nie Anaknu Vetze Etzeinu Vetze Etzei Amka Beit Yisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Ve'lomdei Torateka Lishma, Baruch Atah Adonai Hamlamet Torah Le'amo Yisrael, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, ki lishuateka ki viti Adonai. May it be soon in our days that we see the return of our King, and may there be a global redemption, a global complete redemption. May it be so. King Yehidatzon. So I want to welcome everybody to Parsha Shemini, RPM. RPM again is Redemption Please Mashiach i.e. we're crying out to Hashem, please send Mashiach. Redemption, please, Mashiach. Hashem, bring Mashiach, please. You know, and uh, redemption happens per Mashiach. When Mashiach returns, it'll be redemption. So, again, just want to cover that. Now, I'm saying the, the blessing for studying Torah over this first particular podcast and the rest of the podcast... Uh, that I Bezrat Hashem get to accomplish, I will be just picking up with the Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai and going on into the subjects, breaking everything out. I want to make everything a little bit more feasible for people to listen to. And again, I explained a little bit of this in the intro, so I won't belabor any more time. So going into Parsha Shemini from Vayikra. Chapter 9, verse 1. So Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1 starts off with Vayhi, Bayom, Hashimini. Okay, so Hashmini, technical way to say that. When you look at this phrase, it says, and it came to pass on the 8th. When you look at Vayhi, the first time we see he is actually when Hashem said, let there be light. That's right. Hashem said, Vayihi or. And because uh, when you look at uh, Vayihi, in this case, the he says, Yehi or is the, is the word, but it then it says, Vayihi or. This is Bereshit, Genesis 1-3, if you want to go there. If you look at it, the whole verse says, and God said, let there be light. So let there be light is Yehi or, but when light actually was brought forth, it is Vahi or. So Hashem spoke it. So the result of his speaking is Vahi or. Why is that important? Because there's a big, big space depending on that which is commanded, whether the word of Hashem spoken will be manifested or whether the word of Hashem spoken will be uh, what rejected or put away or covered up or it, it just won't come to fruition, which is interesting because when the word of Hashem goes out, it will not return null and void. So what does that mean? That means if you don't do the word, somebody else will. Because we're speaking about Hashem commanding. Because Hashem commanded that there be light. And it's like, all right, light, do your thing. 
In other words, creation, which reveals Hashem's majesty, creation does exactly what Hashem tells it to do. However, we as a part of creation, we don't. Unless we choose to, which is interesting because Devarim chapter 30 tells us about that, choosing life or choosing death, which choosing life is good and blessing, choosing death is curse and evil. And Shem says, you know what, let me help you out, choose life, which would be light and goodness, which means follow my word, do what I command. Because when you don't, you create bad, evil, darkness in the world. Why is there bad, evil, and darkness in the world? Look at the source of it. The source of all of it is come from not doing what God commanded. So, vayhi or, and there was light. Genesis 1-3. So now we got vayhi bayom hashmini. So, and there was in the eighth. So this is where everything before this was prepared, set up, brought forth, spoken. You know, we went through Hashem commanding us to build a Mishkan and gather in all the Taruma and, you know, build a place for me and all that, right? So now that that all has happened, here's the result. The day of eight. So. I want to just speak on this eight real quick, because when you look at Hashmini, um, I didn't even do the gematria of Hashmini, but basically uh, you have the word Moshe Yayin, which is the wine of Moses. Then uh, Yayin and Sod have the same gematria because Yain, which is Yod, Yod, Noon, which is 10 plus 10 plus 50, 10 plus 10 is 20, 20 plus 50, 70. Okay, and then you have Sod, which is Samic, Vav, Dalit. Samic is 60, Vav is 6, Dalit is 4. Sod has to do with the mystical level of the Torah. So now you have this day of mysticality that is connected to Moshe here on this eighth day. The Midrashim tell us that Moshe was wearing all white, like the Kohen Gadol does on Yom Kippur, and going in and out of the Holy of Holies for the past seven days, and teaching Aharon and his sons how to do all the Corbinel. He was Setting up the Mishkan, taking it down. Setting it up, taking it down. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of work because how much stuff is actually a part of the Mishkan? But anyway, Moshe was doing that for seven days. Mind you, uh, he is between 80 and 120 while he's doing this. Because we're looking at uh, at least the second year in the wilderness, so let's call it 82. So Moshe being about 82 years old, is setting up and taking down the entire Mishkan by himself. Because remember, how do we start the book of Leviticus? There was a giant cloud covering the temp, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and nobody could go in or out. And Hashem spoke to Moshe out of the cloud and said, bring near Aaron and his sons. And let's, let's talk about the Corbinot. Let's talk about all the service and all that. 
Let's do the whole anointing thing. Remember Parashat Tetzave where they had to do the the the, uh, the the anointing on the right ear, the thumb and the toe and all that. Okay, so that's also connecting back to this and previous Parashat Abzav. So we're mashing up a whole lot of things together, I realize. But I just want to point out the main thing that I want to take away from this. What's been going on for the past seven days? Because... That's before Vahi. That's the Yehi to go back to Genesis 1 3. Hashem said Yehi or, and then Vahi or. Like Hashem said, May, let there be light, and then there was light. So Yehi, do all of this stuff for the tabernacle, and let's see what it looks like. And we're going to do it. And now here's the actuality of it. Now we're getting started. So, with that being said, Here's our eighth day, which, by the way, corresponded with the first of Nisan. So we're looking at Rosh Hodesh Nisan. Okay, the beginning of Nisan, the new moon. This is where we began to prepare for Pesach and uh, Chag Hamatzot at this point. So uh, Shemot chapter 12, uh, Exodus chapter 12 stuff. That's this day. So this was the day that Yehuda, the prince of Yehuda, um, came and brought his offering. So he was the prince of the tribe of Yehuda who brought his offering that day, which I believe was Nakshon. And then after that, for the succeeding 12 days, you have the rest of the tribes. And then you go into uh, Aharon for Parsha Beha Aloteka, Hashem teaching him about lighting the menorah and not making or making sure that he does not place his head or his crown above the lights of the menorah. So humbly elevating because that's how you elevate people. You want to make sure you're humble, that you're coming alongside people. You're not overbearing and you don't treat yourself as Lord over them, but you lower yourself like them and you walk with them through things. No matter how many times they ask you questions, no matter how confused they may seem, no matter how, um, how, how much you think, oh, they've got it and like, I'm good now. I don't have to tell them this or yeah, they may already know this. so I won't tell them that. It's like, no, you humble yourself, come alongside them. What do they need? How can you serve them? That kind of humility. Parsha Behaloteca. Well, that's in the book of Numbers. So that later time. But then after that, then you get ready for Pesach a few days later where you select the lamb and you slaughter it, eat it with you and your household. And then you're into Chag uh, HaMatzot. So when you look at all these things and you put them together, uh, Parsha Shemini is the beginning of all this. And what I love about this is we've already gone through the first of Nisan through the 21st of Nisan. And here we are in this Torah portion. And depending on whether or not we have a leap year on the Hebrew calendar, uh, this Torah portion will always be in this proximity. So it's just kind of interesting that, you know, we go through the actuality of it and then we get to come back and recap it, you know, in the par show. But anyway, the mystical and the sword of Moshe is now made manifest. So what Moshe has been doing in the quote unquote cloud that's covered the Mishkan so that no one could go in or out. Uh, now we're, we're going to see it all go down before our very eyes. And what I love about this is it points to the fact and the validity that 
everything about Hashem has already been in existence. And there are points in our reality where it becomes manifest and revealed. And we're like, oh, snap. And it's like Hashem's like already been there, done that. And we'll do it again. You realize. Like I, I brought you out of Egypt before. I'm bringing you out of Egypt now. And I also will do it again in the future. You know, which is why when people say there's a new covenant, that's a problem because it insinuates and implies and infers that Hashem is uh, is done with, you know, what he did before. And he wants to throw all of his patterns out of the window. And the very Bible that he spoke into existence, we need to throw it out and get rid of it. He'll speak something else into existence. But you notice the pattern is that when Hashem did something, does something, and will do something, it's literally the same. Like, we were brought out of Egypt before, and in the final exile, we're going to be brought out of Egypt. They're literally likened to one another. You know, so the same things that we saw in Egypt are the same things we're going to see in the final redemption. You know, and then when the son, the, the promised son, the one and only begotten son was offered the first time, he was offered in a place that was designated by Hashem and a supernatural lamb, the ram that is, was placed in a crown of thorns and offered up instead of the human son. And come to find out, Yeshua, who is that supernatural ram, because he existed before creation, just like the ram existed before creation. And then he gets put in a crown of thorns and he sacrificed in our place. So, I mean, it's the same thing. And again, I quoted the the Hebrews uh, letter, I believe it's chapter four, where it says the same gospel, the same good news of redemption was preached to us in the wilderness, just like the same good news redemption is preached to us now in this current exile. So there's nothing new. So again, such as the mystical sowed of Moshe brings out those revelations that have been there. It's like the grace of Hashem allowing us to see these things, basically is what I want to get at. So now that's Hashmini like with the hay in front. But what about just shimony by itself? Well, shimony by itself, first of all, you need to know it means eight. Eighth, like the eighth person or eighth position. And when you look at eighth and look up this, uh, look this up in the concordance, it says this is from the same word as shimone. Okay, and then shimone means eight, like the cardinal number, like the number eight. For those of you who are familiar with the Siddur and the standing prayer called the Amidah, it's also called the what? Shemonei Esrei. Well, that's because in Hebrew, you count by units until you get to the individual parts becoming a unit again. So that means you get to 10, that's a unit. So now from 10, you're going to count until you get another unit. So you're just going to add whatever the number is. So to say 11, you're basically in Hebrew going to be saying 10 and 1. So when you say Shemonei Esrei, you're saying 10 and 8. 
Okay, so Shimone being eight, Esrei being ten. So there's a little uh, Hebrew for us. The very first time this word is used as Hashmini is in Shemot 2230, saying that do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. So this is all about tithing the firstborn of our sons, tithing the firstborn of our animals. Also, uh, tithing the firstborn of our grains. Did you know when you tithe, you tithe your grain, your wine, and your oil? Why? Because your olive trees, your grapevines, and your, your bread of the field. You're like your, your standing grain in the field. And you would also do this when you have your cattle. You take your firstborn of your cattle and you bring those as offerings to Hashem. So, and also our sons, we do that as well. On the eighth day, we circumcise them. That's another thing. But you say, hey, we circumcise all our sons. Well, you're tithing the first portion of their life to Hashem. First of all, that, that's happening. And uh, you're tithing that part of their body uh, to Hashem because the, the foreskin, contrary to popular belief, uh, that was not the original intent for mankind. The only reason we have that is because we ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the fact that we're getting circumcised is actually pointing back to the fact that we're trying. We're not trying. We actually are. We're going back to the way that mankind was originally brought forth and creation as perfect. So when you want to walk perfectly before Hashem, you, you have to circumcise. You have to be circumcised. So many people think, oh, you don't need to get circumcised. It's not a problem. It's like, okay, so you're just going to walk around with forbidden fruit on you. Because the same word for foreskin is the same word for forbidden fruit. You remember when you plant a tree in Israel and for the first three years, uh, you don't touch it. It's considered to be orla, just like the foreskin on a man when he's born. It's called orla. So, like, we are not to have that. We're not to partake of that. That is not for us. But after that, on the fourth year, you can eat from the tree when you take it to Yerushalayim. Fifth years for everybody. Okay? Same thing. Uh, we we have the, the newborn baby boy. On the eighth day, we give back to Hashem. We're also offering our son as a sacrifice on that, that point in time. And to go furthermore, go into the firstborn sacrifice that when you pay what's called the Pidyon Haben, redemption of the firstborn, uh, that's where that whole thing comes from, because we're tithing our firstborn to Hashem. All the firstborns originally used to be Kohanim. So the priest of the household was the firstborn son. Hence why the firstborn of the whole entire household of the universe is Mashiach. That's why Mashiach is the prince. Or the uh, the priest. He's also the prince. He's also the king and all that. So, so all that to take into account. But anyway, so just so you know, this, this Shimonai has to do with, you know, tithes. It has to do with firstborns that get brought as uh, offerings to Hashem. Uh, it also has to do with firstborns who are redeemed. 
and also has to do with manifesting previous concealed things. So, with that being said, I want to go ahead and drop into uh, some interesting insights on the number eight. Because we've all heard, Bezrat Hashem, if we haven't, uh, you're about to, about the significance of eight. And it represents going beyond. It represents transcendence. It represents supernatural and all that. Well, if you go to the Jewish wisdom and the numbers, here's what it says. I just picked one of the topics. This one stuck out to me because it literally says eighth dimension. And remember, one of the meanings of Shemini, when you study out the etymology of it, it literally means eighth. So, eighth as in the uh, the ordinal position. And so you have the eighth dimension. Now, one of the things that I've read, uh, I believe it was from Parsha Yitro. If it wasn't, then I apologize. But this exists, if you want to look it up, that there are said to be ten dimensions to creation as we know it. And obviously, beyond that, there's infinite dimensions, because when you get outside of what we can actually comprehend with our own minds, there are way more than we could possibly ever know, which is why part of the Olam Haba, the world to come, is about exploring into those things. Um, hyperspace is one of them. If you have a chance to look up and research hyperspace, even if you want to Google search hyperspace, Man, that's some really cool stuff. But anyway, eighth dimension, it says this. this again, this is Jewish wisdom in the numbers from Art Scroll. It says uh, different facets of Torah find expression in several different numbers. Different facets of the Torah find expression in several different numbers. Now, remember in Hebrew that numbers are letters and letters are numbers. Okay, so Aleph is one. Aleph is also 1,000. Okay, and Aleph is also one because it's the first of the letters. Like Bet is two, and Bet is also two because it's the, um, the second of the letters. And then when you get to, you know, let's go ahead and say Yod, and then you have Kaf. Okay, so Kaf is the 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but Kaf is also the gematria of 20. So you can kind of see how the letters and the numbers, that relationship works. And so as you're looking at words in Hebrew, you're also looking at numbers. And the the numbers can move and the letters can move and all that. So let's do a, a quick little example of that. So if we go back to our shimony here, let's go back to Leviticus 9.1. I got to learn how to type. Type and fly, man. Okay. So shimony, third word of Leviticus 9.1. So you got the hey, hey is five. Hey is also the fifth number or fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Sheen is 300 and its numerical value. 
And Sheen is the 21st letter. Because after the Sheen, you have Tav. That's the 22nd letter. Then you have the Mem. Mem is the gematria of 40. And Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zayin, Tet, Yod, or Zayin, Chet, Tet, Yod, Kaf, Lamet, Mem. Mem is the 13th letter. It's like I'm having to think about all this stuff at one time. <laughs> Throwing me off. Okay. But anyway, Brugashim. 13th letter, and the 13th letter of the Hebrew is the Mem. So yes, if you're thinking Echad and how the Mem is all about Mashiach and Moshe and, and Echad and being one and all that. And 13 is also the gematria of love and Mem represents the Torah. Mem is the water and the water is the Torah. It's the oneness of God. It's the love of God. That's why when we immerse in a mikvah, we're surrounding ourselves in the love of God. So, you know, all those kinds of things. Yes, Baruch Hashem. There you go. 40 years in the wilderness. This was the grace of Hashem. Because a nation that Hashem took out of Egypt that should have died in the wilderness, Hashem still allowed some of them to live. The, those who cleave to Hashem are alive today, as it is written in Deuteronomy. So, yes, in the love of Hashem, there is responsibility. You can't just go, Hashem loves me, so I do what I want. It's like, okay, just remember, the children of Israel were surrounded by the love of Hashem. Because they were 40 years in the wilderness, which represents the men, and yet some of them died. So why did they die? You know, the outright rebellious ones died. And I know it says between the ages of 20 and 60, but guess what? Some of those people were able to survive. Because why? They cleaved and attached themselves to Hashem. That verse, those who cleave and attach themselves to Hashem are alive today. I want to go ahead and source that out. Uh, those of you who cleave to Hashem. I believe it is uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy 3.14. But I could be wrong. Yep, sure is wrong. <laughs> but you that cleave unto Hashem, your God. You are all alive today. That's devouring four four. All right. Just for grins, I wonder what three fourteen is. Oh boy. Yair, a descendant of Menashe, took the whole region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Makatites. He renamed Bashan after himself, Havot Yair. There's a whole lot of cool things with Yair because it's all about the light and stuff. But uh, that is far from Devarim 4.4. You cleave to a Shemar alive today. So, Sleeka, I'm glad I'm able to source that out and stay on track. So, anyway, that's the Mem, the 13th letter, Gematria of 40. Yod is the 10th letter. It also has the Gematria of 10. Noon, well, noon is after Mem, so that means noon is the 14th letter. And noon is the gematria of uh, 50. And then you have the yod, which is 10 again. So as you're looking at Hashmini, you can see 5, 300, 40, 10, 50, 
10, you know, and you can add that together and see whatever, what other word that equals to and all of that. Then you can also get into the fact that, okay, so now we got the fifth letter, the 21st letter, the 13th letter, the 10th letter, the 14th letter and the 10th letter, add those together and get some of the stuff like that too. So anyway, that's just a few things that you can do with the Hebrew, which is just so amazing. But yeah, so the eighth dimension of the Torah has to do with the number eight found in terms of lofty and supernatural stature. So in other words, the whole thing about Shemini is it's saying, let's introduce supernatural stature. Loftiness. Let's introduce that. And in this Torah portion, we find among so many wonderful things, kosh root, eating kosher. And it literally ends the parasha talking about kosh root. The be holy because I am holy verse is in that section as well. I think that's absolutely mind boggling because when the Torah wants to teach us about loftiness and supernatural stature, it's like, yeah, you know what part of that is? Eating kosher. Many people don't think that eating kosher is something we need to be doing today. But the problem is you never, ever get yourself into the loftiness and the supernaturalness of the Torah, which is available, by the way. It's, it is available. But it's not accessible, especially if you're not eating kosher. So anyway, just to throw that out there. So what I put in the margin was, okay, Yochanan, John chapter one, verse 14, because it talks about the word became flesh. And we just read about the word being lofty and supernatural. So literally Yeshua is Superman. To quote uh, Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel from the middle of Mashiach, he was going on a whole thing about how Mashiach is the Superman, you know, because he's super, he's man, he's divine. He's like the divine man. So uh, the only one who is divine, you know, like not like he's a man that's divine, but like Yeshua is divine. He's in the form of man, but Remember, he's the Torah. Remember, he's the word of God. He's the spirit of God. You know, he emanates from Hashem. So, you know, and, and I was just kind of like, wow, that's ridiculous. Because the, and I came across this and just kind of searching and, and putting everything together, that apparently in Latin, the word super means to be above, like supernatural, like above natural. So the Latin even uh, gives us a hint that, hey, what's what's happening here? This is not this is not natural. This is not this is not the normal M.O. And to go back to Kashrut real quick is or is not Kashrut beyond normal. <laughs> like if you went to any restaurant down the street, you know, hey, can I have a kosher burger, please? They'll look at you like you're an alien from outer space. Unless you just so happen to live in a highly populated Jewish area where you have Jewish restaurants on every block, which is not fair, but that's fine. Uh, Mazal tov to you. Um, but anyway, 
for most of us who don't have that, going down the street, we do get treated like aliens if we ask for a kosher burger. Oh, for the day to drive up to Whataburger and be like, hey, uh, could I get a number Dalit? And they would know exactly what I mean, because I would be saying I want a number four. And then when I got that number four, it would be a kosher, a glock kosher burger that has no forbidden fats in it, has not been cross-contaminated with other grills that cook other stuff because, oh, wait, they're a kosher restaurant now, so they don't even have pork or shellfish or mixed meat and dairy, and they have proper utensils to prepare all that stuff with that is kosher root uh, all over their kitchen. So everything's fit and appropriate to eat. And so I would be able to have my burger and my fries, and I have to worry about, is anything in this meal dairy? Man, oh my gosh, like that would just be so incredible. But that's not natural right now. But it will be. Because that's the other thing when Superman shows up, i.e. Mashiach Yeshua, the, the, the living Torah, Mashiach Ben David, may he come soon in our days. When he shows up, he's going to usher in the supernatural like it's supposed to be fused into the natural world. Because that's how it was when we were in the garden. There was real trees and real fruits in the garden. But the thing is, it was fused with supernaturalness. There was no decay. This this tree would just grow and grow and grow. And it's like, oh, you took my fruit? That's okay, I got more. Oh, you took that one? That's okay, I got more. And like, it's just like, did I even take a fruit? Because the place where I took the fruit from, there's another piece of fruit there now. Like, can I, I'm just going to keep, and you keep grabbing it, it just keeps coming back. It's like, okay. You know, and you end up with all this fruit and it's just kind of like, I'm still going. What you got? You going you going to take more of my apples or not? You know, but anyway, it's natural. Trees are supposed to be planted and they, they're supposed to grow and bear fruit. Did you know all trees are supposed to bear fruit? Part of the curse that we brought on mankind because we decided to not eat kosher is that trees in the world don't bear fruit. Anyway, I've went way off of my notes, which is not which is not different from any other podcast. <laughs> so wish I could say that was supernatural, but it's not. It's totally natural for me to go off my notes. Anyway, so going back to the book, it says Torah is not of this natural world. It originates from on high. Torah is not of this world. It originates from on high. So, yes, Colossians 2.20. Yes, Galatians 3, 4. We'll talk about that in a moment because people talk about the Torah being the natural and base things of this world and um, basic elements of creation. It's like, really? Because creation was brought forth with the Torah. So how are you going to say that creation is above Torah? But anyway, the very people who say these things are, again, uncircumcised. Again, they don't eat kosher. And again, they don't even study the Torah. And again, they don't even know about the eighth dimension of the Torah. So anyway, consider the source is what I always like to say. Many people who have opinions and want to throw out uh, advice and recommendations and strong suggestions, you might want to consider where their source is coming from. Because most people who throw out the Torah and say, you don't have to do that anymore and you're under grace now. Um, most people who do that, you know, it's just kind of like they don't have a source for that. There isn't a source that tells you the Torah is 
not legitimate. The Torah is done away with. They just, they literally make stuff up. Why do people uh, try to worship on Sunday instead of on Shabbat? Well, the day of worship changed because the Lord raised. It's like, okay, so if you can point that out to me in a text, that'd be great. And point that out to me in a text that can connect back to the Torah. That'd be even greater. But oh wait, the Torah doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter what your source is because the source of your source comes from no source. So it sources hatred all the way. But anyway, back over here, it says that it originates from on high, talking about the Torah, essentially belongs to the heavenly realm. This is why the angels forcefully resisted Moshe's efforts to present the Torah to mankind on earth below. All the wisdom of the natural world connects to the number seven. Say it again. All, put some stank on it. All of the wisdom of the natural world connects to the number seven. The number seven. Okay, seven days a week. Okay, all that kind of stuff, right? That's natural. We're counting the Omer and the what? Natural. Because why? Seven days, seven weeks, the 49 days, and then on the 50th day, guess what? Something supernatural is going to happen because the 50th day is not going to be another week. It's going to be a new beginning. So that's important because the Torah is going to come beyond, from beyond the natural. It's going to come after you get through all your natural stuff and do what you're supposed to do. Again, go back to the first reading of Parsha Shemini on the Aliyah day for 5780. Check that out from the P Judaism, uh, whether you want to be on anchor or which is Rabbi Griffin, Rabbi Mordecai Griffin on anchor. Uh, again, first reading of Parsha Shemini, Aliyah day one, the first reading talks about all that. And then uh, on Lapid Judaism on YouTube, that's where you can find the Aliyah Day as well. But anyway, looking at all that, you have to go through the natural before you can get to the supernatural. But the thing is, people stay stuck in the natural. Best Rider Shem, none of us stay in the natural because we get to celebrate Shabbat every week. And I, yeah, I know Shabbat's the seventh day of the week, but guess what? We get to experience a glimpse. That's why it says that the Shabbat is 160th of the Olam Haba. It's 160th of this eighth dimension that we're talking about. So because we celebrate the Shabbat, we're setting ourselves up for when the when that full eighth dimension, that full Olam Haba comes in. We will already be, we've already set the groundwork for that to be entered into. All right, so last thing I want to say, and then I want to break down the Colossians 2 and Galatians 4 and Tayyim Rabbeinu Bakya from Shemot 1 1. It says, But the divine wisdom of the Torah. Again, I want to point out, we're talking about the Torah here, and the Torah became flesh. So when the Torah became flesh, all of this that we're talking about right now also transferred into the flesh. That's why it says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. That's also in the letters. 
So if you read about all that, how can Mashiach be considered to be a natural man, you know, and he has to have been born of a mom and a dad coming together and uh, procreating to make him. It's like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to have the woman uh, experience the Ruach HaKodesh coming up on her and then she'll give birth to a child, just like what happened to Sarah, you know, and uh, there's been other cases, but Sarah's a precedent for this. And uh, yeah, so it's important because the Ruach HaKodesh had to come up on her in order for her to give birth to Isaac. So that that's something. Keho Tumash, Genesis 21. Uh, you can check that out. But anyway, um, yeah. So we're looking at a supernatural procreation, just like creation. Creation was a supernatural procreation. And because of the Shabbat, the rest of the Yom Tovs that we celebrate, like, you know, Pesach and Chakamatzot and Shav- or counting the Omer and Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you know, all those other festivals are birthed out of the Shabbat, which was the day that Hashem blessed and said it is very good. OK, and the Shabbat is the beginning to all of the other holy days that we come together, all the other appointed times. They all come from the Shabbat. So the Shabbat is like the mother, just like Miriam, mother of supernatural Torah, Yeshua coming out. So anyway, divine wisdom is what the Torah is, which transcends everything else. This has to do with the number eight. Yeshua transcends everything else. So now, here we go with our Galatians and our um, Ephesians or Colossians. Yeah. So here we go. So we got the. Make sure I get my coordinates right. So I got Galatians 2.20 and or Colossians 2.20, Galatians 4.3. Down in my notes, I have a lot of notes. Okay. It says, if you died with Messiah to the, here's the phrase, basic principles of the world. One just studies the number eight and realizes the Torah is not the basic principles of the world. Going on, it says, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to their rules? So, is Shaul saying, why do you subject yourself to the rules of those Jewish people? Because who rules the Jewish people? Who, who literally is called the king of the Jews? Well, the king of the Jews is called the Torah. That may come as a surprise, but yeah. Why do you think we crown the Torah? Why do you think we parade the Torah around and celebrate with it and speak blessings to Hashem through it? That's considered to be our king. So anyway, man after my own heart is what David was called, right? First king of Israel, not not first king of Israel, but considered to be the king of Israel. Literally, when we say David HaMelech, Melech Yisrael, Chai David Melech, 
or Dabi, king of Israel, is alive and enduring. Because the whole thing about the kingship of King David is it's perpetuated forever, because that's what Hashem told him, through his son, which namely is the Mashiach. And again, a man after God's own heart. What's the heart of God? First letter of Torah is Bet. Last letter of the Torah in Deuteronomy is Lamed. And would you put the Lamed and the Bet together? That spells the word for heart. Lamed Bet is how you say heart, which is Lev. So a man after my own Torah. So yeah, the king of Israel is all about the Torah of Hashem, which is the king of Israel. So anyway, if he's talking about why are you being subject to their rules, then that would be interesting if he's talking about the Torah, because if he's talking about the Torah, he just negated all that we talked about, about the number eight. He says, you know what? The Torah didn't come from Hashem. The Torah doesn't have an origin on high. The Torah is not transcended. The Torah is not divine wisdom. And therefore, when the Torah became flesh, he was just another man like you and me. So what makes Yeshua different from you or I putting ourselves on a cross, if we want to consider it that, or any kind of pole or tree, and consider ourselves have died for the sins of the world? Now, I wouldn't recommend that because the chances of us being resurrected is uh, slim to none. Because remember, Mashiach was raised on the third day because, you know, like he's not he's not like you or I. He, he transcends us, transcends the whole entire world. Again, what happened when the tablets were shattered? Just, that's the precedent of how to look at the death of Mashiach. Well, namely, the words of Shabbat, Shin Bet Tav, stayed on the tablet. So Shabbat was still like, I'm here. The other letters floated back up. And what did Hashem say do? I'm going to need you to raise these tablets back up, Moshe. So go get some more stones and we're going to put the word back on it. And that's a temporary thing until the Mashiach comes. So the Torah, though it quote unquote dies or its body gets shattered, it's ultimately raised back up. And the thing is with Mashiach, he came in his in a natural body. But when he was raised back up, he was raised back up in a supernatural body. This is why locked doors were not a thing for him. This is why he could disappear. You know, he disappeared before because when the people tried to stone him, he just went right through the crowd. And it's just like, did he walk through them like the uh, like Kitty Pride, like the X-Men? So shouts out to Zanua. She's our Shomer version of Kitty Pride. But anyway, uh, that's the X-Men girl. She can go through walls and go through people and stuff. And so, yeah, so Yeshua totally did that. Because when people tried to stone him and it wasn't his time to die, they, they weren't able to literally do it. So, but when, you know, look at the story of the road to Emmaus, after he says a Braca and breaks the matzah, he disappears. Then he shows up on the seashore while the Talmudim are out fishing, and he's like, hey, y'all come over here, let's eat. And it's like, uh, where did you come from? Like, were you there the whole time? And how did, how is there all of a sudden a fish on the fire? And then you told me to cast my net on the other side, which, again, we're in a we're in a small little area over here, like casting a net on the other side is a big deal. It's like just casting that on the other side. And then they almost drown. The boat's almost capsized because there's so many fish. 
Okay, anyway, so belabor at that point. Just know Mashiach is not natural. He's supernatural. He has to be, because if you or I tried to do the same things Yeshua did, we would not be successful. Just Let's just be blunt. <laughs> I was going to try to wax eloquently about that, but there's no way to do it. Anyway, uh, Galatians 4, 3 says, so also when you were under age, you were subservient to the basic principles of the world. Now, this is why I want to bring out what are the basic principles of the world? Well, Rebenu Bakia in Shemot 1.1 talks about this. And I was already thinking in my mind, yeah, this is under age is when you're under bar bat mitzvah age. Because until you have your bar bat mitzvah, which bar mitzvah, you're 13 as a boy, 12 is bat mitzvah for a girl when she turns 12. This is when you become accountable for knowing the commandments. There's a whole step progression. If you go back to Parsha Vayaki and Parsha Shemot uh, on my podcast from this year, 5780, then you could look at all those things because I break down the the progression of a Jewish life. Because many of us come into Judaism uh, late age and we're thinking, oh, man, I got to get this all down now. And it's like the children of Israel are not even able to make Aliyah and recite the Torah, study the Torah portions and do a public teaching on it until at least 12 or 13 years in. And that's just the beginning. And then for those next seven years, they're working on becoming accountable for it. So by the time they're age 20, should they violate any kind of death penalties of the Torah, they will be uh, under uh, judgment for that. But up until then, they're not accountable. So when we come in the first 12 or 13 years, you got to just learn. You got to just go through the ups and downs of, you know, I succeeded today. I got Shabbat right. And the next time, oh my gosh, terrible. You got to grow up. You got to learn the letter Aleph. You got to learn the Torah portions. You got to learn the Siddur. You got to learn the Zanut dress. You got to learn all that stuff. At least 12 or 13 years. Then at that point, that's when it's like, all right, listen, what's your Torah portion? Do you know all about it? You know your mission, you know your purpose. Then after that, over the next seven years, work on being accountable and then boom. Because why? When you convert to Judaism, when you come in, you're considered a newborn babe. You're a new creation, you're a baby. You're underage. So what is underage? Glad you asked. It says, Rabbeinu Bakia Shemot 1.1 says, Endow the simple with shrewdness. Proverbs 1.4. Hold drop on this, but uh, I'll have to save it for later. It says, regarding the young, Scripture states, see what it says, regarding the young, the underage. Scripture states, he endows the young with knowledge and foresight. That's also found in that same proverb. It says the most important type of reproof is the criticism offered to the young since their intellect is not fully developed and they lived under the domination of the evil inclination, i.e. the Yetzirah, for 13 years when their thoughts and understanding were completely focused on worldly pleasures of the body. 
Galatians 4, 3. So when you were under age, you were subservient to the basic principles of this world. Because why? Dominated by the evil inclination, thoughts and understanding is under underdeveloped and it's completely focused on the pleasures of the body, the pleasures of the world says, yeah, worldly pleasures of the body. That's what remaining Baca just quoted. Basic principles of this world is dominated by the evil inclination. Your uh, intellect is underdeveloped. And your thoughts and understanding are completely focused on worldly pleasures. So what do you need while you're underage? Says while they're still adolescence, again, back to Rebbein Ubaqia, and their nature is malleable, young people are in need of criticism to rein in their good inclination. It says, so... Sleek eye. They're in need of criticism to rein in their behavior and to help them come under the control of their good inclination. There we go. So while we're still adolescents and our nature is malleable, we're young people and we're in need of criticism to rein in our behavior and help us come under the control of the good inclination. We gain this by listening to the person who reproves us by paying attention to the words of Torah, which is entirely reproof. Second Timothy 3.16. If you don't know that verse, you should probably know it. But if you don't, it's basically what Rabbeinu Baca just brought down, commenting on Shemot 1.1. So we're underage. And we need reproof. And that's what the Torah is for. It's not the basic principles of this world. It's actually beyond this world. And it helps us grow up so that we can go beyond. Now, the footnote in the Jewish wisdom of the number said that there are symbolized that the worldly wisdom is seven. And it says there are seven lamps of the menorah. And the menorah basically represents the wisdom of this world, which is funny because the menorah represents Mashiach, the Torah, Yeshua, and all sorts of other stuff. And it's like, yeah, but that's this world. But the thing is, that's the physical manifestation, which is still has the infinite manifestation concealed within it. Just like it is said that the light of the sun conceals the light of the Torah. Now, that physical sun concealing infinite light, we could barely look at the sun now. Unless we have something to help our eyes and cover them, our eyes will get scorched out. You just go outside and stare at the sun if you want to. Don't do it. But if you did, you would regret it. You would be blind. So that is my disclaimer. I am not telling people to go stare at the sun, but I'm just saying it's hard to look at the sun without putting on glasses or some kind of UV blocker. But when the sun is made seven times brighter in the future, because it will be, we're still not going to be able to see it because in the world to come, the light of the Torah is going to be unsheathed. So that's kind of crazy to think about how much light is actually in there. And it's just kind of like, well, the menorah, how much light is actually in there? Because 
This is just wisdom for the world right now. The Or Ha'olam. And there's a beautiful drop in Baba Batra 4A. And I'm just going to go ahead and uh, skip down to it, to the main point I wanted to bring out from it. That says that um, the light of the world is the Torah sages. For it is written, the mitzvah is a lamp and the Torah is a light. Proverbs 6.23. And it says, you should go and occupy yourself with the light of the world, the temple. As it is written with regard to the temple, all the nations shall flow unto it. Isaiah 2.2. 2. The word for flow is alluding to light. There are those who say that this is what uh, King Herod said. And it says, he who blinded the eye of the world, as it is stated in reference to the sages, the eye of the world is considered to be the sages, the those who are occupied with Torah. And if it be committed through ignorance by the eyes of the congregation, Numbers 15, 24, should go and occupy himself with the eye of the world, the temple, as it is written, I will desecrate my temple, the pride of your strength, the delight of your eyes, Ezekiel 24, 21. So the Torah sages, and we're talking Zacharias, Mordecai's, Daniel's, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, those type of people, sages, sages who we read in the Talmud. Those are called the light of the world. Yeshua called us the light of the world and Yeshua said, I'm the light of the world. So now we can see how Yeshua says, tear down this temple, I'll rebuild in, in, in three days. And then also says by Shaul to the Corinthians that don't you know that your bodies are temples? You know, we are temples of God, which is confirmed by Parsha Teruma, especially in the Midrash Rabbah, that, you know, the dwelling place that Hashem was asking for was the children of Israel, not a physical structure. So there's all that. So when you put all this together, you're seeing how the light, the temple, the Torah and all that kind of all work hand in hand. But that's just here in the natural. But there's something beyond that. So this would be a, a, a point in time to understand that something greater than the temple is here when Yeshua said that, you know, Yeshua said that in the gospel. So, you know, there's a greater light than we could possibly ever know. Uh, and that is found in the Torah, which is the eighth. So that'll conclude my comments on eight. So Bezrat Hashem, this was helpful. And may we all push forward into the eighth dimension. Build up in the natural, even if we feel like we've gone low. Let's go ahead and strive and reach forward. Because when we merit the opportunity for Shabbat, when we merit the opportunity for Shabbat and things like that, these Yom Tovs of epic proportions, um, if we haven't done anything in the natural to build on them, you know, we don't set ourselves up for a good uh, standing in those times. So what are you doing with your six working days so that you can have a good Shabbat? And what are you doing with these seven weeks so that you can have a great Shabbat? So let's all ascend suit up and get you some.